Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and every kind of filth. Even so, on the outside you appear righteous, but inside you are filled with hypocrisy and evildoing. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the memorials of the righteous, and you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have joined them in shedding the prophets' blood. Thus you bear witness against yourselves that you are the children of those who murdered the prophets. Now fill up what your ancestors measured out. The Gospel of the Lord. That's one of those Gospels where afterwards you're like, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Really? Yeah, so yesterday, no. uh, Yeah, yesterday I was over in the school. I was with uh, one half of the seventh grade and uh, one of the girls in the seventh grade class. She was, one of the questions she was asking was, uh, you know, Father Pat, I've been been reading the Bible a lot recently and reading a lot from the Old Testament. I'm like, wow, good for you. Um, and uh, and she, she asked the question that it seems as though God in the Old Testament seems a lot meaner, as she says, than, the, than God or Jesus in the New Testament seems. Um, so we went through this whole thing talking about Marcionism, this, you know, this heresy from the second century, and uh, this whole notion that, that, uh, that kind of developed back then that you know, Christians should just leave the Old Testament behind because the God of the Old Testament was mean and vengeful and wrathful and the God of the New Testament is like kind and sweet. And I was telling her, uh, I was like, I, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a, there's so much ignorance in that. There's so much ignorance ignoring huge parts of Scripture where like the God of the Old Testament is dripping with tenderness and mercy and kindness and compassion and Jesus in the New Testament, I was like, and Jesus can be really intense. He says things that are like intense and terrifying in some ways. And then I was looking at the gospel last night for today. I was like, for example, when Jesus is laying in the scribes and Pharisees, his harshest invective in the New Testament is reserved for the religious leaders of, uh, of his day, right? So it's not as though Jesus in this gospel, it's not as though Jesus is being mean for the sake of being mean. He's not being mean. He's, what he's doing is he's pointing out something deadly in the attitudes, in the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees. In the same way that like when an oncologist delivers terrible news to a patient, they're not being mean. But they are delivering news, pointing out something that if left unchecked is deadly. It's terrible, right? Jesus is speaking so intensely to them, these woes, these warnings, Precisely because he loves them so much. Precisely because he loves them so much. What he hates when he's attacking, what he hates is their attitude. Their disposition that has rendered them incapable of receiving his love. That's what he hates. And like, 
in us too. Like, we are, we are the recipients of his woes today. It's not just like, oh, those dumb scribes and Pharisees, those saps, right? It's, it's, we need to, like, open your ears. Open your ears. This is for us today, too. What he hates in us is the attitude, the disposition that renders us incapable, impermeable, impenetrable of receiving his love. It's as if Jesus is saying, I hate the wall of religious superiority you've built around your heart. I hate that wall. I hate the self-righteous and the self-assured, self-sufficient attitude that you've adopted like by which you've concluded that you do not need me. This false notion of auto-salvation, I can save myself, right? That was the problem of the scribes and the Pharisees. That was the deep, deadly disease that they thought that they, if they could just perfectly keep the 613 Levitical laws, then they'd be perfect. What they missed was that, like, as St. Augustine said, the law was given so that grace might be sought. And grace was given that the law might be fulfilled. Right? St. There's, there's, Augustine says, like, there's a part of God's pedagogy in the Old Testament with all these laws that it was as if God wanted them to see that they were incapable of keeping the commandments. So that from that place of, my God, we can't even do this, that they would from there cry out in their need and poverty to be saved. Right? The Pharisees, the scribes, they were deluded in thinking, we've got this covered. We've got this. Jesus is saying, I, I hate that you've convinced yourself that you can be saved by at least appearing to be saved. Right? There's this whole dynamic between the exterior and the interior going on in this gospel. We're going to hear it again this weekend. But the, like, as long as the outside of me is polished, then that should be sufficient. That's all that really counts. So he levels these woes against them. His, like I said, his harshest words, he's leveling them at, at their hearts. Right? He's trying to shake them free, to wake them up. Because in truth, like, they're putting themselves into a very deadly situation. They're ignoring this tumor of self-sufficiency. They're branches that have abdicated themselves from the vine, thinking, we've got this. We do not need the life that flows to us from the vine. You're going to die if you do that. You're going to die in that place. Like, being convinced of their non-need of Jesus. How deep the need goes. I love the image that Jesus shares. It's, I, I encourage you to pray with it. It's an intense image. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones. Dead men's bones. <clears throat> it's not just the scribes and Pharisees. It's, it's every human heart in all of history. We've all been afraid of the rot that we carry within us, like the dead man's bones within us, of having that opened up or exposed. I mean, think about um, the story of Jesus coming to Bethany. Lazarus has been dead in the tomb for four days. Jesus says, roll away the stone. And what was Martha's response? No, no, Lord, there's going to be a stench, right? We're so afraid of cracking that open to let the stench out. Because the stench, we've been taught and conditioned by our fallen world, and conditional love relationships, the stench makes us unlovable. Not good. 
Here's the thing, though. Like, Jesus is not afraid of the stench. He doesn't even stand outside of Lazarus' tomb. He steps into the tomb. He's not afraid of the stench. He's not scandalized. Like, he's not scandalized by the Pharisees or the scribes' interiority or the fact that they carry so much hypocrisy within them. He's not shocked that it's there. He's not shocked that it's there back then. He's not shocked that it's present in the hearts of priests and bishops and cardinals and popes. He's not shocked that it's there, that there is rot in the heart. He's not scandalized by it. He expects to find it there. That's why he came in the first place, is it not, right? Like the point of the incarnation was to confront the death that we carry within us, the hell that we carry within us. Like sin and Satan and death, he expects to find it there. He's the Savior who's come into this fallen world to deal with the death that we carry within us, called sin. And the thing is, he doesn't want any of us to die with death inside of us. Death and sin are synonymous for St. Paul, right? He doesn't want any of us to die with that rot inside of us. Like, would that we would all die with life and love and mercy inside every nook and cranny of our hearts, that all of our interior tombs would have been transformed by his grace into wombs, places of like new life. That's what Jesus does. He turns tombs into wombs, right? The place where he was buried becomes the place that gives birth to resurrected life. Barren wombs become life-giving wombs, right? That's what Jesus does. So many people, though, so many people die with tombs and dead man's bones still inside of them. Like they've never let Jesus into that place of their heart. They've, they've kept that part of their past or that hidden struggle buried, sealed up. And what happens is they carry death with, within them into the grave. Like the most peaceful deaths I've ever seen come when people, like when the person dying has inside of them no more death. No more tombs, no more dead man's bones. They've, they've let the Lord of life and mercy into all of it to be permeated with life, even at death. But that's what Christ offers us. That's what Christ offers us. It's just an invitation for us this morning to just to contemplate those harsh words that Jesus says. Whitewashed tombs, but inside filled with dead man's bones. What bones, and st- what bones are still rattling inside of us that Jesus wants to look at and say, come, to, come back to life? It's just an encouragement, an invitation for the Lord to search us and know us even more deeply. Amen.